0: Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. You know how it is. Uh, we have an awesome
1: episode for you guys. We interviewed one of the original founders of the Decred Project, Jake Yocomb Piat. This was a fun episode. Uh, you know, David and I threw some tough questions at him, had a lot of fun learning about you know, what he thought about building Decred. But before we get into all that, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Haven Privacy. David, you actually you actually just used the app to, to buy something. Why don't you tell everyone about it?
0: Yeah, so I don't want to ever advertise for something that I haven't used before. So I went on and I bought a little selfie drone. Uh, I was scrolling through like all the things I could buy. Uh, and since Borderlands Three isn't out yet, so I can't buy the game codes through through Haven yet. I looked at this uh uh this uh, selfie drone, and this is a, a product idea that I always had in the back of my head. Like, what if you could put a little drone in your pocket, and then you can throw it out so it can take a selfie, and then it would come back to you. Genius idea! Somebody else did it because I'm busy with crypto. But yeah, I bought a, a forty five dollar selfie drone with Bitcoin, and like the coolest thing I thought about this app was that I don't have to sign up with my email and password. I just need to fund my account. Uh, So I hit up Christian and was like, Christian, send me some Bitcoin. I'll Venmo you. Uh, And so he took my dirty nation state fiat and I took his Bitcoin Um, and I bought this drone and it was super easy. Just put in my, my address. Uh, It looks like it's coming internationally and it says three to 19 working days. Hopefully it comes by the time we, uh, we go camping. Um, But yeah, it was, it was super easy. It was just like uh, some, some, some sort of hybrid of Craigslist, Amazon, eBay, uh, I'm pretty happy with it. I got um, I got 37 cents left over. So you sent me the perfect amount of Bitcoin. I think I'll just hold it there in the app. Oh, David, what what wallet do you use to store your Bitcoin? Oh, the Haven app. You know.
1: <laughs> hey man, they got they got four wallets in there. Uh, so they have some of the more popular altcoins, and then of course. BTC, the most liquid cryptocurrency. The Haven app is available on both iOS and Android. It's all about privacy. No middleware, no spying. Like I said, uh, you can shop, you can do social posts, private chat between people. So David and I have been uh, taking some of our messaging to the Haven app. So you guys really check it out. It is, uh, it's pretty awesome privacy first tech really in the ethos of Bitcoin cryptocurrency as a whole, and they are integrating Ethereum. I'm sure, no doubt, DAI as well. So for all you Ethereans out there, the Haven app will cater directly to you so David doesn't have to buy my Bitcoins off me.
0: Yeah, they need to integrate DAI so they actually have money on their their platform. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and get right into the interview with Jake Yoakum Pyatt.
1: All right, everyone. I'm super excited to bring Jake Yocom Pyatt to the podcast. Jake is one of the original founders of Decred, and he's coming on the show to talk Decred history, talk a little bit about early Bitcoin development, and then talk about their new privacy mixer that they just unveiled uh, earlier this week. Jake, welcome to POV Crypto. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I think it'd be a great uh, to just start with a little bit about your history and you know, kind of go through that normal part.
2: Yeah, I'm, you know, I can uh, I can keep it brief here. I can go into far too much detail because you know it's like I've been in the space since early twenty thirteen, late twenty twelve. So to uh, to give you the very brief uh, the very brief summary, it is that um, I am the CEO of Company Zero LLC. It's uh, one of the primary contractors for the Decred project. I'm also the project lead for the Decred project until we can fully decentralize everything. And my background is that I started working on Bitcoin, and what really drew me to Bitcoin is was how much fairer it is, or excuse me, it was than uh, the fiat financial system. You know, if you ha- if you've ever lost a bank account or you've ever uh, you know had problems at the bank or had to wait and wait to make a wire transfer, you know that the whole system is pretty unfair. So to have this system where you can send you know send funds at any time. And that you, uh, you know, no one can basically take the take the funds in your account. That's, that's a very powerful thing. So that the, the fairness of that system really drew me to it. And, um, you know, throughout working on an alternative uh, full node, cl- uh, you know, full node stack, I came to recognize things that I felt were very unfair about Bitcoin. So um, the fairness drew me to it. And then the closer I got to sort of, you know, the, the, the inside of the beehive with, with Bitcoin, the less fair I, I considered it to be. And my main problem was that there was a, you know, a central planning committee that that had to okay everything. And so there's this amazing decentralized system, but it's run by a central planning committee. And I didn't like that. And I found it very frustrating. So as a result of that, that's what sort of spurred me to go create Decred. And what happened was, is I was prompted to look at a white paper for a, a project called Memcoin2. And it proposed a hybrid proof of work, proof of stake system where the proof of stake was in charge as opposed to the proof of work. And when I saw that, it instantly felt a lot fairer than Bitcoin, particularly from the central planning uh, you know, aspect that, that I experienced in a way that a lot of other people didn't. So that's sort of how I got from there to here. And that's sort of, it's very broad strokes up.
0: I, I would say the main value proposition of Bitcoin is that it's not centrally planned. Uh, so where, what are you referring to when you were saying that you didn't like how there was a central planning committee uh, surrounding Bitcoin? and And what year was that around?
2: that was uh you know from late 2012 through and then you know i really sort of stopped uh being being really in the ecosystem uh in roughly like the mid early to mid 2015 you know and i guess what i was getting at was the uh you know people people say that there's no central planning committee but the the reality that that i saw was that there is a central planning committee, and in, in the form of either, you know, Bitcoin Core or Blockstream or some combination thereof. Before, you know, I was around before Blockstream happened, and I found the, uh, you know, the way that it, that the system ran to be very frustrating. For example, there's no consensus rule changes unless they get okayed and rolled into Bitcoin D, and they only get rolled into Bitcoin D if they get past Bitcoin Core. And then who's you know who's uh you know gatekeeping bitcoin core well it's a bitcoin core developers, so that process I found that very frustrating, and I feel like you know uh some people may interpret my comments you know uh, as me casting aspersion on you know on this group, but it's re- they ran the project just like they would you know most any other uh open source project, so I don't really take exception with how it was run, but it just didn't it didn't s- settle well with me, especially when you look at the effort that went into creating Bitcoin to create this like decentralized mechanism for picking which chain we should be on. I saw that and I'm like, <laughs> you know, now I'm on, I've picked the Bitcoin chain and, you know, my, uh, you know, my own meta experience is I, you know, I really have no sovereignty.
1: So I guess you said that you haven't been paying attention to it since 2015. Uh, I can kind of understand the feelings that there are few people that are, Um, really working deeply on Bitcoin Core back then. Do you, I mean, are you aware of like any of the new organizations that are funding core developers nowadays, including Square Crypto, ChainCode Labs, uh, Digital Garage, uh, just to name a few, I think MIT Media Lab. Uh, There's there's several uh, organizations that are paying for core developers. I think even Bitmain has a few on payroll, are you familiar with, you know, kind of the state right now? And do you have any comments on that?
2: Well, I feel like it's very easy to point to things like the list of committers to a repository and go, look, oh, look, there's 200 people committing to this repository. But it takes someone who really knows what they're doing to look at those 200 committers and go, how many of these committers are making substantive commits that are actually really moving the peg forward? Sure, you can fix typos or add test coverage, or you know, refine the 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 you know the GUI, or you can uh, or you can find a you know a corner case that nobody's hit. You can do these things, but the question of whether it's substantive or not is is very much relevant in you know in my view. So people will point to this list of people on the Git commit list, and if you filter that out and you go, okay, how many of these commits are basically you know I'm 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 going to be a little callous here, junk. And uh, the, the count on those is pretty high in, in, in the view of people, both I've worked with and people I continue to work with. And I feel like it's very easy to point to things like this and go, oh, they're hiring, you know, they're sponsoring people. But the reality is, is that if you try to change, if you try to change any consensus rules or you try to propose any big changes to the project, it isn't going to happen unless you get sign off from a very small group of people.
0: So, maybe both of you guys could educate me a little bit as to how this works, But to my knowledge, Bitcoin development is strictly not changing uh, the actual code of Bitcoin as in not doing a hard fork. Uh, and Jake, are you referring to like the fact that Bitcoin has gate kept any changes to the Bitcoin core protocol that would result in a hard fork and that you want to decentralize access to to that via some new mechanism uh, is that Is that right?
2: Well, that, that's effectively what we've done with, you know, with Decred. Decred has, you know, a set of consensus rules that are voted on by our community. So if we make consensus changes, they have to be approved by our stakeholders. The way that Bitcoin has operated to date is is that they have a policy of no hard forks. And that means that anyone who's running even the original Bitcoin, you know, the, the original Bitcoin client, they can still follow the chain. Now. Following the chain is a little bit of a decoy here because there have been consensus changes made throughout the, uh, you know, since the founding of Bitcoin. But those, uh, you know, the changes that end up getting made are only the, you know, only ones that still allow the old clients to track the chain. So for example, you you might have opcodes. The opcodes get redefined and somebody who's running Bitcoin 0.1 thinks that they're tracking the chain, but they're really not. What they're doing is, is that, They are, they're, they're making sure the consensus rules that they understand are getting enforced as opposed to, uh, you know, as opposed to the new ones. So although you may be able to track the chain, you can't actually validate the consensus rules of the chain currently without a current client that has those consensus changes in it. And that's, you know, and that's a big difference to us that, you know, the nuts and bolts of things like consensus rules really are very, very important as the Bitcoin community has uh, gone out of its way to demonstrate to us just by merit of the disagreements and arguments over say uh, segwit segwit was a bundle of several consensus changes all put together so if you were watching the chain after segwit activated and before the consensus rules most certainly were different but the person who's still running the old bitcoin client can continue to follow the chain so i think that's you know that's a it, it's it's a notable distinction and it's lost on a lot of people
1: so i feel like that's a little bit disingenuine. Like it doesn't actually change the consensus rules, but rather limits what's acceptable in the the SegWit uh, upgraded version. Uh, so it, essentially, the SegWit version uh, doesn't recognize things that the that the original version does. Uh, I do think that the attempts to keep things on the uh, or keep things backwards compatible have a lot of benefits, especially when it comes towards. If there's an issue with uh, future or newer releases, right? uh, It's good to have that. Those older clients that are still following the deemed correct chain uh, to kind of fall back on. Why do you kind of think that having these old clients isn't important? And to even add on to that, what happens if someone is in a coma for 10, 20 years and then wakes up, you know, goes to their node and their rules have been hard forked away via future upgrades?
2: You can argue that the consensus rules haven't changed, but they have. They've just changed in a way that you can still follow the chain. For example, uh, you know, a, uh, the, the way the weighting works with uh, SegWit. So you can have all of these, uh, you know, the witness part of the block, and that can be very large, and that was done to accommodate the Lightning Network. All they did was change the weighting of it, and, you know, if you're changing what is and is not an acceptable block, any of those rules being changed is a consensus change. However, it's being done in a way that old clients can follow it. That doesn't mean they know what the current consensus rules are. That just means that they have a chain of blocks that link together via proof of work in terms of how we deal with this in Decred is, is just that when we make these changes, we make sure that people sign off on them, uh, rather than, uh, you know, sort of push them out and then ask say miners to activate them or the community via whatever it is, user activated software. So that whole process of, you know, of making changes is just a lot smoother in our case. And, uh, you know, we don't feel the need to say, uh, try to try to define what is a soft fork and what is a hard fork, we just call them all consensus rule changes. And, you know, let them roll the same way, as opposed to try to make this, you know, sort of finer grain distinction between. them.
1: So what does happen in the man in a coma situation with Decred? Let's say he's running his own decred node he's trying to be completely sovereign he's unable to upgrade
2: well, then he emerges from his coma, still <laughs> has his coins unless they've been stolen by somebody with a quantum computer who rocks up then he upgrades his node so it's on the latest version of the consensus rules and then then he can participate in the uh, you know in in the decred network again so so that this you know To be frank, I don't really see a whole lot of utility in this idea that somebody can go into a coma and then come back out and be like, you know, my software from 20 years ago is still running. I mean, I would argue that one of the biggest problems, say, with Windows, uh, you know, and a lot of Microsoft uh, software is that they don't upgrade and everything is backwards compatible. So what what you're doing is you're left maintaining old, effectively kind of rotted out infrastructure. And you're doing it so that, you know, the hypothetical scenario of someone waking up from a coma 20 years later, they can not have updated their software. It's, a, you know, it, it seems a little confusing to me if the whole point of the software is so that people can instantaneously, you know, derive value from
0: it. One of our previous guests on the podcast, Brandon uh, had got famous from his Bitcoin is a decentralized organism uh, concept slash medium post, uh, which is a great medium post. Everyone should Everyone should read it. Uh, and it does one of my favorite things, which is connects blockchains and crypto economic systems to nature, uh, because there are a lot of parallels there. And his thesis is that um, Bitcoin kind of operates in a similar manner to the mycelium mushroom network. And so this for this a primer, it's like this underground network uh, that is very distributed, like equally spread out across soil, uh, and it consumes nutrients, it consumes energy, and uh, it, it has these cycles, and it can react without having like eyes or ears or senses, it can still react to the environment to make sure that it's this anti-fragile system. And so I was wondering if, if you could put uh, Decred's ability to change in that model, Uh, and I, I'd I'd like to have Brandon on here because he would, uh, he would illustrate this, this concept better than me, but where to tie it back to the conversation that we were just having, uh, Bitcoin seems like it keeps its very firm foot back on like the OG node way back when, when the blockchain first started and decred is able to kind of like uproot itself from old nodes and replace them with new nodes. Uh, as the project develops and move, uh, move forward. So do you kind of see Decred as possibly fitting into the model of being a decentralized organism?
2: Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it, Bitcoin at its core is a, is a network, and it's a network of humans doing things that, where they have their uh, interests aligned. And I think that that's really what gives, you know, Bitcoin this property that you describe where it's sort of a tightly woven uh, network of say rhizomes like, uh, you know, uh, what is it like uh, uh, fungal, fungal colonies will have. And the, the way that works is, is by aligning people's incentives. When you align everyone's incentives, you can create a coordination between people in a group in a way that, you know, just isn't, isn't present in a lot of contexts. A good example of this would be, say, religion, in the sense that everyone agrees on a shared set of rules. You know, here's this book. We're all going to agree on the rules in this book. We're going to use this as the basis for the system we build out. It creates a very cohesive and sort of, you know, organism-like structure. And, you know, as we're all aware, organized religion has had an enormous influence on the world around us throughout history. And I expect that, you know, Bitcoin and other other networks like Decred will continue to do uh, similarly by 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 doing a very similar thing, which is they identify uh, shared beliefs between uh, between large groups of people. And, from, you know, from the perspective of how Decred fits into this analogy is I think that, you know, one of one of the pillars of Decred is that it's adaptable. I, you know, my experience with Bitcoin was 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 one of frustration. And, Part of that was because I wanted the network to evolve and change and improve and grow and into something different over time. And, and, you know, per these discussions about soft forks versus hard forks, it's very easy to, uh, you know, to look at all the benefits of not changing. And instead, what we're trying to do is we're trying to embrace the benefits of changing, but changing in a way where, you know, everybody agrees very strongly with what we're changing. If you know if it's a 50-50 split on whether we think we should do A or B, I think that you know you really shouldn't be in that situation. But if ever you know seventy-five percent of the you know stakeholders want to do A, you know A as opposed to B, I believe we should evolve that way as a you know as a tightly woven network. And I feel like you can't do that if you have a too low a barrier, uh, you know, in terms of building a consensus. And I think that that's also one of the challenges that's present, say, in a pure proof-of-work network. Which is that if fifty one percent of the network wants to play games and you know uh and you know double spend and cause problems, they can do it whereas with decredits it, it it's substantially harder the bar is higher to you know to cause that same kind of trouble which is which is the security component of our project where you know proof of stake acts to secure the proof of work and vice versa
1: so Jake, two things I kind of wanted to point out here I do kind of find it interesting that you point out that. Miners can play games and act maliciously, right? But historically, there hasn't been ever really long-term, sustained bad acting in uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, like you know, there's kind of been uh, you know periods where Bitmain was using uh, was using ASIC boost, discrete ASIC boosts and uh, mining empty blocks, things like that. Things like that, but they haven't been able to do that for a prolonged period of time, which kind of shows that the game theory. Uh, is preventing that problem in the first place do you really think that that is a big issue with bitcoin's model and that that is a big reason to implement this additional consensus layer like proof of stake
2: there is you know there is something to the statements you're making which is that you you haven't seen large scale outright attacks um, by the uh, proof of work miners so the miners have <clears throat> the miners in the past actually were responsible for not uh, making consensus changes, in particular the uh, the SegWit change set, because they didn't agree with it, and presumably because Lightning Network would lead to a substantial drop in fees, which they don't like. So what's, what's within the interest of the miners, that is that the – uh, what I want to say here is that the um, – yeah, the interests of the miners do not align with the holders of of Bitcoin, as we saw with all of the drama back and forth about uh, you know uh, SegWit. What it illustrated is, hey, you're running a, you're mining, your mining is working fine, but uh, when it comes to who should have the sovereignty in the system to make the changes. A lot of the, uh, my impression of, of the situation was, is that if you ask people to vote with their coins, almost everyone would have said, let's upgrade to SegWit and call it a day. But what ended up happening is, is that the miners are like, fuck that, we're not gonna activate this and uh, effectively blocked it and made the process take years. And th- so they do have sovereignty, they do act maliciously, but it's it, it's not in the way that you would expect, say by executing 51% attacks, tax, double spending, doing selfish mining and um and all of that and then in terms of in terms of how decred approaches it is is that when you add the proof of stake it's not just a question of sovereignty sovereignty is important right but there's also a question of security which is that you ask the question how much does it cost to be a malicious uh you know miner as we saw with bitmain bitmain were you know they're they're very good at what they do they spent uh what, what was compared to other projects, substantially less um, less money, and were able to achieve a lot more. And so by merit of them being very smart with how they leveraged their, uh, their hardware, they were able to generate a huge amount of sovereignty for themselves. Now, th- for all we know, they could have been mining and selling all their Bitcoin for fiat, but they still have sovereignty in that system. And that's what our hybrid proof-of-work, proof-of-stake does, which is if you're a miner and you want to have sovereignty in our system, you have to hold the coins, stake them, and participate in the proof-of-stake system as opposed to dump them all on the open market and still have your sovereignty via proof-of-work.
1: I would, again, push back that you know maybe the sovereignty he had was overblown again via the fact that he is no longer the CEO uh, or <laughs> Jihan is no longer the CEO of Bitmain, and, and Bitmain seems to have a lot more competitors these days. Um, but with that being said, I don't want to get too hung up on this. One thing I did notice about Decred as going through Politea and your wiki and stuff is that you actually have a constitution, which I kind of find is interesting because that's one of the things that people laugh at EOS about is the fact that they have a constitution, this kind of like uh, fuzziness between wet and dry code. Um, Would love to get your take on why a constitution, why do you think the wet code factor
0: is so important for Decred? Uh, Can we define wet code? I, I think a decent amount of listeners might not know what that means sure i 'll do that so uh, Nick zabo, uh, early
1: crypto uh, anarchist and, uh, and smart contract pioneer, kind of termed this uh, use this word wet code, which is kind of like law or legalese or you know written contracts versus dry code, which is like computer code, which it 's pretty you know clear and dry exactly what it is and for example, Bitcoin is these protocols are dry code, right? Supposedly they execute and that's it. It's pretty uh, cut and dry. Whereas, you know, the U.S. Constitution, the Decred Constitution, other things are like written agreements that you sign on. Uh, that is wet code.
2: The reason that we made a constitution was really, it really, it, it isn't a, the, the, the way people would expect we, don't, we didn't create the Constitution as, in an effort to create an inviolable document that has to be updated and then, and then adhered to all the time. What we did is we created the Constitution as a, uh, as a means to manage expectations. When people get involved with any cryptocurrency, you know, there's their perception of the project, and then there's the reality of the project. And we tried to create a document that said, like, listen, if you're just going to show up and go, what the hell is Decred about? What can I expect in general? We wanted to have a document that you could read and go, oh, this is roughly how, you, how, how everyone's going to operate here, as opposed to you show up and then you, you're just totally at odds with the community going like, I thought this was Bitcoin. It's like, dude, this is decred. And then, you know, there's, there's no real easy way to draw the line between the two but you know the distinction between dry and uh, dry and wet code is, is is a you know is a salient one here because the way we change consensus rules that's the dry code right you know the cons- the consensus rules are really the magic that holds everything together and let's pretend for a moment that i wrote out the consensus rules on a piece of paper and i showed that to people who showed up to the community i think they'd have a very hard time parsing that information they'd look at it and go like so what is the, these consensus rules are confusing i'm a little lost so the constitution was an effort to distill the dry code and sort of the principles behind the dry code into wet code so that people can see the wet code and, you know, manage their own expectations, uh, you know, in terms of how they, uh, interact with and participate in the project if they choose to do so.
0: This might just be a reiteration of, of the question in, in a different form, but Bitcoin is value proposition is that it's totally governmentless, uh, and it's totally, uh, with, without governance by default, uh, and what what I'm kind of worried about, and and we guys were kind of touched on this earlier, where Christian said that you know, you know, my miners might not have the perfect alignment incentive, but it's so far so far so good. Uh, so far, the system hasn't broken. Uh, and what I'm worried about for Decred is that it's going to be a Bitcoin hedge. I think I think people use it as a Bitcoin hedge. But what if Bitcoin never breaks? Like, what if Bitcoin just works out just fine? Uh, can you uh, Convince, convince us that uh, Decred has a role outside of just being a Bitcoin hedge?
2: Yeah, sure. So there's no doubt proof of work works as you've observed and, uh, you know, and, and and I've observed. And even within Decred, we made a point to leave uh, 60% of every block reward for proof of work because it works. And we wanted to, you know, not get that far away from proof of work. It works not a lot of other things work in this context, so we're going to stick with it. That said, when you look at when you look at any sort of technology, uh, you know, integrated circuits, you know, uh, what is it, uh, aircraft, you know, any kind of military technology, anything. Over time, these systems change and evolve. That is, that the old technology is replaced by new technology, and that process is you know an ongoing process. And one of the challenges, you know, say with with Bitcoin, is is that because of its sort of informal governance structure, there is a uh, you, you know there's a very a real challenge to it when it comes to evolving. That is, that if you propose something a change, let's say you proposed a hard fork, a lot of people would argue that's not Bitcoin. Or let's say say you proposed a soft fork, they'd go, "Well, who are you?" And it's like, "Well, I'm so and so." And it's like, "Well, the soft fork you proposed is okay, but soft fork someone else proposes isn't." And, and so th- this process of choosing how we evolve. You know, the way I see it is technology must evolve over time. That is, nobody, you know, nobody's technology, whether it's computers or, you know, uh, you know computers or anything else, there's going to be an awesome computer at some point in time, but at some point in the future, you're going to be able to build a better computer. And so the goal that we have is is to make it an incremental process where we evolve from the, you know, the starting point where we started, we saw Bitcoin, it was great, it drew it, you know, it was a, it was a light, we were like moths, we flocked to it. And then we go, well, what if we could build a better light and make the whole thing, you know, evolve, evolve moving forward. And I think that a number of other proof of work projects approach, uh, you know, uh, blockchains from the same perspective. But, um, you know, my feeling is, is that it's really about how you evolve uh, more so than just the evolution, because, you know, I mean, I could evolve into a snail and people would be like, dude, aren't you supposed to evolve into something more advanced than a snail? I'd be like, but I want to be a snail. And people go, well, is that really the best idea? So, so maybe we should, uh, maybe we should all work together to try to evolve in a coherent fashion, as opposed to, you know, fight amongst ourselves to uh, you know, in terms of sort of living in the past, you know, like trying to sort of stay in a golden era or a golden,
0: so I'm assuming included in that argument is that the Bitcoin soft forks just aren't innovative enough. Uh, so can you, and I think this is a great transition to Decred's recent announcement. Can you kind of talk about the changes that Decred's more nimble governance have brought about to its benefit?
2: For sure. So one of them is uh, the ticket price. So if you're at all familiar with Decred, you're aware that the proof of stake system operates on tickets, there is a ticket price that changes every 144 blocks. That's roughly every 12 hours. When we launched, we had an algorithm for the ticket price that worked. Now, it worked, um, and short of running really simulations that we wouldn't have had the time or ability or sort of wherewithal to run before we launched, it ended up that that ticket price was res- was, uh, had a reson- uh, what is it? a resonant mode where people would buy a lot of tickets and the price would go all over the place that we ended up changing out the ticket price algorithm because it had a, uh, you know, sort of an emergent resident mode. And we did that in the summer of 2017. So that was the first, um, uh, you know, consensus change. And that was a hard fork consensus change um, that we did in the summer of 2017. Then in the uh, winter of 2017, we uh, made made an addition to add, what is it, op uh, CSV, Um, So op uh, check sequence verify, uh, which is a uh, prerequisite for the lightning network. And we had done that because when we launched, we had a malleability fix, which was one of the requirements for LN. And then we also had op uh, check lock time verify, which is another one of the requirements for LN, but we didn't have op CSV because I think it was sort of, you know, it was in the works of, you know, while we were getting everything ready to push out the door. So we had to add that after the fact, which was another hard fork change. And... And then uh, we ended up waiting another, like I want to say it was late, a uh, year later in late 2018, in order to fully activate the, the Lightning Network. We had over, we had missed something in our original change in late 2017. So there have been three, uh, there have been three consensus changes so far that uh, the community has voted on, and uh, we actually have a fourth one coming in the next month or so that should be activating pretty soon. And then you know, uh, in t- in terms of how we do this is. There are these tickets, Uh, the ticket price goes up and down and everyone votes when these consensus changes are being are opened up for voting. And the requirement for changing is, is that you need over 75% of the vote of of the voting uh, of those who vote yes or no to vote yes to activate the change. So uh, changing consensus rules for us is like roughly a three month process, which is, you know, the software gets out there. Then uh, then people upgrade their software. Then once the software is upgraded, then people start voting. Then the votes are tallied. Then things wait a month and then they activate. Something
1: that might sound really weird to Bitcoiners is when you refer to we and refer to making changes. Can you talk a little bit more about what the process is of, um, I guess, uh, operating inside Politea, how many people roughly you think are making uh, comments in Politea and participating in that process and how you see that process changing over time as uh, theoretically more people start participating in Decred?
2: Yeah. So so, something that we deployed in October of last year is our system called Politea. It's an off-chain governance system. The idea being that the things that really belong on-chain on are consensus changes and people voting for them. So if the consensus changes, uh, you know, need to be made, you really can't do that off-chain. You really, in order for it to be a transparent process that makes use of our governance infrastructure, it has to be on-chain. So the, the process of arguing about which changes should be made, uh, which projects should and should not be funded by the project treasury, um, we wanted to put all of that on an off-chain uh, you know on an off chain system and we call that system Politea. and that's very very roughly it's uh it's data that you take um it's a repository that's public everyone can log in and comment there's some paywalls and what it does is it takes the data and it anchors it into our blockchain every so often now if you're familiar with um oh what is it um open timestamps from uh, Peter Todd it's basically a uh, an extension of that where it's a Git repository and every so often the commit hash from the Git repository gets anchored into the Decred blockchain. And the, the reason we did this is we wanted to make a system that was kind of like Reddit, but you can't go back and just change things. So like, let's say somebody makes a comment and I really don't like it and I'm the project lead and I'm like, oh, this person said something and it made me upset. I can't go back in time and delete their comment um, because, because there's effectively an indelible record of these comments. So that's, you know, that's how Politeo works. And what we've been doing is is that anytime someone wants to propose either a consensus change or, um, you know, a project that would be funded by the Project Treasury, that goes up on Politea. And then um, it can be voted on by the stakeholders, the people who, hold, who own these tickets, uh, you know, in the proof of stake system. And the way it works is that at a certain point, you know, when someone calls for a vote, there's a snapshot taken of the ticket pool, which is about 40,000 tickets. And then people, you know, cast their votes for what they do and do not want to have happen on uh, Politea. So when when it comes to consensus changes, we propose it on Politea first. We see what the stakeholders think. If they approve it, then the code gets written. Then, uh, you know, the code will get deployed and then the on-chain voting uh, component, uh, you know, rolls forward. But that's, you know, that's really how the process works. And in terms of how, how it would... Uh, be handled in the context of uh, you know a larger community. Our biggest uh, you know uh, just recently we had, we had a market maker uh, request for a proposal. Proposal. I know that sounds a little iterative, but um, we wanted to get hire a market maker to uh, you know to 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 make sure that the markets are for, are, are healthy for the Decred project. And there were ninety comments on the last uh, on that last proposal, which is the most we've had, and. I expect that as as time goes on, it would effectively be a decentralized version of Reddit that is wired into our governance system and then also connected into the treasury indirectly so that people can argue and, and do that.
0: Are there any centralization forces with uh, Politea? Is it in its final form? And how does it become permissionless or be permissionless?
2: That's, that's a great question. So what we did is we focused on... Uh, Let's pick the low hanging fruit. The low hanging fruit was make it time ordered, make it censorship proof, or, or, or at a minimum censor, censorship, uh, have, have transparent censorship. So if I censor something someone says on there, like, let's say you submit a proposal, and it's really great. And I go, I'm a jerk. I don't like your proposal. You can then go and prove to the community that you submitted a legitimate proposal, and that, I, and that it was basically blocked. Um, it, the idea with uh, you know with the system was make it work. So we have the time stamping and the time ordering. But in terms of it being centralized, it is indeed centralized for the uh, you know for the time being. In terms of decentralizing it, there's a there's a variety of steps uh, to take. I mean, the first, first natural one would be to make it high availability, so that uh, you know the the uh, anchoring of the timestamps is decentralized. Then there's also the Politea repository itself, which could be decentralized and run in a high availability configuration. And then it becomes a question of, okay, you know, who has the right copy? So what this is, is that, you know, Politea is to some extent sort of the, a precursor of a full-on blockchain system, but we we built it the way we did to intentionally have it not be, uh, you know, not be as heavy as a blockchain, and so you can store it off-chain. So uh, the goal is to fully decentralize that, but, you know, just like everything else, once you start decentralizing, there's there's an endless series of steps and that's you know that's really a big thing that we do with uh with decred you know we 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 do it a piece at a time and then we we make it better over time
0: so we've seen some censorship on twitter and on reddit recently uh mainly in the wake of the uh hong kong protests uh and there hong kong like some the there's a hashtag about hong kong that was trend uh, trending on twitter and then it got nuked Uh, And then a bunch of posts on Reddit were trending or like upvoted on Reddit and then they got deleted. And plenty of people had proof of this, right? They had screenshots, uh, people on, everyone knew it was trending on Twitter and then it was gone. And so there was this conversation, lively conversation on Twitter and on Reddit about how everything is being censored, but the censorship still worked. And I think that is still a weakness from the model that you described where like people can prove that they've been censored about like I submitted this proposal and then it got killed by some censorship. Uh, but making people care about that is something else. Do you guys have a, have you guys thought about this or is there a solution for that?
2: I have. I've thought quite a bit about this topic. And I think that when it comes to censorship, it's very tricky. Like, like let's take Twitter as an explicit example. I'll talk about the, okay. People can take screenshots of Twitter or you know, like let's say uh, archive.org could have a, an archived copy of some, Page on Twitter, but the unfortunate reality is is that that does not equal proof because you can forge that stuff. So what you, the, the way we handle this within Politeia is it's about um, uh, uh, testifying to things. Uh, so it's like attestation: person X cryptographically signed, uh, you know, a piece of data Y at time Z and even a system like that if implemented in the context of social media i think would make you know would would, would create a you know a big change but no one's going to you know these these organizations are not interested in becoming accountable their unaccountability is part of their you know power base and their sovereignty over their system so these you know the the people who operate these uh, social media sites in my opinion are incentivized to continue allowing opaque censorship And and for that process to go on in order to, you know, making people care about censorship, you can only do so much to make people care about anything as you know, as various world governments have learned, you know, you can uh, disagree with someone all day, but you can't bomb them into agreeing with you. So uh, there's only so much you can do to force people to be aware of things. But there's a lot that I think can be done in order to um, hold people more accountable. So that if you care to look, you can be, you can look and be like, wow, this this actually did happen the way so so and so claims, as opposed to, well, look, the information's gone, so you know it didn't happen. So I feel like there's a there's a there's a lot of room to maneuver here, and a lot of room for changes to happen because I feel like uh, it's a very unfair game right.
1: So, I want to get back to something that you said, which was that the market maker proposals had over ninety comments on them i 'm kind of curious what you think uh, is the, roughly the amount of people participating in the decred system right now, just because I was actually a little surprised like I heard people talking about people like uh, cheeky mate marad um, uh, Luke Powell talk about you know how incredible you know the activity on politea was and you know, at least from the perspective of being on Reddit, it seemed rather barren. Uh, so I, I'm I'm tempted to think that the Decred community is still relatively small, and you know I'm just trying to get a better understanding of how big you think this community is that's actually governing governing this DAO.
2: It's it's hard to know exactly how many people are stakeholders, um, just by nature of the system. I'm sure uh, you know. Uh, our friends at Chainalysis could 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 figure out roughly how many independent wallets there are that participate in staking, but uh, you know, short of applying blockchain analysis tools like that, I think it's hard to estimate. I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least a thousand, if not, um, it, you know, somewhere between one and five thousand people who are stakeholders. And uh, the numbers that I've that I've ended up seeing um, in terms of downloads is that with each release of our wallet software, or not just the wallet software, but Everything. We release it all in like a bundle. We get like between 10 and 25,000 downloads on you know, of every one of these, uh, you know, every one of these releases. So, uh, you know, my read is, is that our community is in the, you know, low tens of thousands of people overall. And then in terms of people who are stakeholders, I think it's in the, you know, it's in the, uh, you know, low to mid thousands. That's my impression.
1: All right. Well, I guess, you know, want to definitely dive into this new mixing software that you guys released. Um, I know, you know, I've heard several ways that it can be incorporated into the stake and ticket staking and ticket buying process uh, to really create like an amazing default anonymity set. Uh, Would love to hear more about that and how it even compares to some um, other mixing services on Bitcoin and Ethereum.
2: Sure thing. Um, so the, the big idea there was uh, just, I sat on the sidelines and, you know, being being at the cutting edge of privacy requires a lot of work. There's whole teams dedicated to this stuff at Zcash and Monero and Mimblewimble. And I feel like that, uh, you know, just, just that alone makes it kind of daunting to add privacy features. I noticed a long time ago that, say, uh, Monero and Zcash both had problems pruning, that is that if you can create plausible deniability about which UTA or which uh, transaction outputs were spent to, you know, create the uh, transaction you just created, that means you can't really prune the blockchain, right? You can never throw away dead, tra- you know, dead or old transactions. So I kind of sat and I twiddled my thumbs and I took my time getting, uh, getting people together. And, and, and the the solution that we ended up uh, settling on was coin shuffle plus plus it's based on work by uh, Ruffing, uh, Moreno-Sanchez, and, um, and Cate. And that work comes down to, uh, it's a coin join, but it's a coin join with, uh, you know, with some very nice properties. So you can create a coin join, but you can shuffle the outputs so that uh, even the server that's, that's, uh, you know, that's acting as a meeting point for, for one of these coin joins can't tell which output belongs to who. And that's a stronger property than, uh, say, uh, you know, uh, what is it? Zero link with, um, uh, with Wasabi Wallet. So I really like, uh, what, uh, what they're doing there with the Chowmian coin joint. And the reason I like it is it's super simple. So the, the, the technology they're using, uh, blinded signatures, it's very simple. It's a decades old, uh, cryptographic technique and it, it works great. But the, the, the caveat there is then you're reliant upon your network path being private in order to, uh, uh, in order to maintain your anonymity, so this is a level up from there, and then you know, in terms of uh, the volume is we 've integrated it with our ticketing and staking systems so that you can use the mixing system to buy tickets effectively uh, anonymizing uh, the the stakeholders, whereas before you may have been able to analyze the blockchain and go oh there 's n stakeholder wallets, and you know they have this many tickets and this one has these addresses, and they spend money here, and here, and here. Now it's becoming substantially more difficult to analyze that network. And uh, you know, anytime you start talking about a mixnet, the amount of uh, you know you know the transaction volume flowing through it is incredibly important. So if you have a mixnet no matter how awesome it is, if only, it, like, let's say the three of us are the only people using it, it's going to be like, it's one of you three, you know, so your anonymity set is small, and I feel like that's a, you know, that's a, that's a challenge that, say, uh, you know, say Zcash has run into, which is that, you know, like, 3% of its UTXO set is shielded, and so even though it's got very, you know, it's, it, it, it's very strong privacy, uh, well, you're, only, you're one of these 3%. And then in terms of, say, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Wasabi Wallet, I don't have any figures for Wasabi Wallet's volume off the top of my head, but, you know, the, the amount of coins churning through any one of these mixers or mixnets is, you know, strongly, uh, it varies hugely from set to set. Like, I don't know offhand is, you know, how, what's Dash's volume through this, what's uh, Bitcoin's volume through, uh, you know, the Wasabi Wallet mixes. And uh, what we were really hoping to do is that by layering this over our governance system in a unique way, and keeping the uh, you know the the math simple because this the math from these uh, coin shuffle plus plus is very simple is we get a uh, we get a very powerful uh, mixing process out of it that to the extent that i'm going to estimate roughly fifteen ten to fifteen percent of our uh, total uh, circulating supply will be rotating through this mixer within about three months
0: and this didn't require any um... Any of the proof of stake governance, right? This is just a development that was placed right onto the main chain.
2: That's right. So, so none of what I described requires consensus changes. This is, you know, and if you're familiar with coin shuffle plus plus, it was actually proposed as a system for Bitcoin, uh, originally. And I I don't believe anyone has implemented it yet in the, you know, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, if they were super keen, they, 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 they could, uh, uh, borrow some of our code. Um, I, I, I suspect because I saw uh, uh, Tim Ruffing had some code um, under uh, what is it Blockstream Elements that they, it may be used on one of the Element side chains. I, I don't know off the top of my head, though.
1: Jake, uh, I do have a follow-up question. So I understand that um, the server on this coin join is going to be decentralized. The server for Polite is going to be decentralized. The uh, multisig for the treasury is going to be decentralized. Can you tell us a little bit? About how you think about this process of seeding power and giving uh, sovereignty to the DAO, and how you kind of like think of it from a high level, and where you th- see potential issues with seeding that power um, to to the decentralized organization.
2: You know, I, I view a lot of the things I've been doing for the project in, in you know uh, through the lens of being a steward for the project it was our intent from zero to go as far as we could with decentralizing things, but that takes an enormous amount of work over quite a long period of time. So in terms of seeding power, I feel like it's, it's really just all about handing it over to the stakeholders. We have a system that, uh, that works for consensus changes. It works for uh, voting for funding. And uh, the, the next change that you can expect to see is the treasury. That is that, we are in the process of uh, decentralizing the treasury right now. That's work that's going on with um, Marco Piraboom right now. And when we get there, the treasury will end up being transferred into a special account effectively. And, uh, <laughs> and, and by transferring the funds into the special account, you know, it will be me effectively ceding my sovereignty uh, you know, over, you know, as, as a manager of the uh, current treasury. And I feel like that process, uh, there's a lot of people in life who, who haven't had an opportunity to sort of, you know, wear the crown for a long time. And they, so they, when they get the crown, they want to wear the crown for a long period of time. Um, I've spent enough time wearing the crown that to me, the crown feels heavy. So I'm actually particularly keen on not wearing the crown. And I feel like that's something that's, uh, that's missing in a lot of projects. So there's a lot of projects where people want to be in control because I don't know, they're 25 and or, you know and they've never really run a business or they've uh you know or they've never really be really been super in charge of anything prior to this whereas I've been in charge of stuff for a decade or more now and I'm like I just like to build fun I like to build cool stuff and to me like a very important part of that is that it works without me that is that you know the crown is heavy to me so I want to you know share the load we can all wear the crown and I view that as a net positive in the long run and You know, like, let's say we look at, say, the President of the United States right now. There's a lot of people who are super upset about Donald Trump. And that's because he's wearing the crown. And that to me acts as an excellent example for why there shouldn't be a single crown and there shouldn't be a single person in control. It's because as a group, we all have a whole wide collection of views and we all want to achieve things we want to achieve. And I think that with a decentralized payment network or, you know, way, way to store value, what we need to do is we need to find what we all identify as good ideas and run the ball in that direction, as opposed to argue about who's going to wear the crown. And I feel like the transition away from, you know, a single person wearing the crown is, is, is certainly a risky one. It could all, you know, the plane could crash into the mountain, but that's the kind of, uh, you know, risk we need to accept in order to build what I see as the future.
0: So, Jake, I'd like to give you the opportunity as we bring this uh, episode to a close. What is the absolute bull case for Decred? Uh, what does the Decred ecosystem look like in 2040 and 2080? Why should people buy it now, even though this isn't financial advice? And why is it not just a Bitcoin hedge? Decred is about pursuing uh,
2: pursuing a, you know, the idea of decentralization to its natural conclusion. Bitcoin decentralized the storage of value and the transmission of that value. Decred has already uh, 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 decentralized the process of governance by merit of it, you know, the way consensus rule changes work. And th- the way I see it is, is that the future of Decred is that we will go from problem to problem, the problems that you know, underpin our society. Who should be in charge? How should you be allowed to store and transmit your value? These are the, these are the games that underpin our society as, you know, as a whole. And I feel like it's very important that we consider rewriting these rules. And that's what Decred really ultimately is about. It's not just about you know, storing value or proof of work or proof of stake. It's about running the ball and fixing the, you know, the gains that underpin society in a way that we can all collectively benefit and find what we agree on and advance through that, as opposed to arguing indefinitely and, uh, you know, bickering about things that are irrelevant, like what color the bike shed is. And that's where, I, that's where I see things in the future, which is that we're going to keep moving from problem to problem to problem fixing what we see as society's, you know, underlying problems. An example of this is that we proposed a, you know, a decentralized exchange that has no fees as a user experience, kind of like an email server. And the idea there was, okay, we've got working, uh, you know, working time ordering from proof of work. We have working proof of stake from uh, or working governance through via proof of stake. What's a major shortcoming of our project. It's uh, you know, permissioned liquidity liquidity is permission through centralized exchanges and even through DEXs that's permission. You have to, you know, you have to uh, buy tokens or, or, or coins to get on some kind of DEX. And I just think that that's really antithetical to the way that, you know, the ecosystem should work, which is that we should be working together to try to solve society's major problems and advance this thing, you know, one peg at a time. So if you look back 20 or 40 years from now on Decred, my expectation would be, you're going to see that we've, that we've attacked a number of societal problems via this same sort of approach.
1: Awesome. Jake, this was a really fun interview. Uh, thanks for rolling with the punches here. I, I definitely like to throw curveballs. Uh, but if you could give one last message to our audience, what would it be? And where can people find you?
2: Where can people find me? I don't typically wear a gps tracker if i can help it so i don't know if i if i want people to find me physically but online I'm, I'm typically on the chats the Decred chats and if there's one uh you know if there's one message to take away from this it's that you know Decred aims to be secure adaptable and sustainable we're trying to improve the world through adding security change with the changing landscape by being adaptable and be sustainable by you know self-funding our work and it evolving in a way that is compatible with the people who have taken the time energy and money to uh you know to to bet on us and and that's you know that's that's really my message for decred
0: awesome jake well thanks for coming on the podcast we really appreciate your uh, your perspective uh like i said decred is kind of everyone's favorite side project unless they're actually in the decred community and then it's your just favorite project so it, it definitely holds a special place in, in everyone's heart regardless of of where they are in the crypto world at least i would say so
2: I really appreciate your
0: time. All right, guys, you can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trust the State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Christian? Yeah,
1: you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Thank you for listening in. Please remember, five-star reviews, share the show, all the above.
0: Let's go. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jake.